I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse, How Songs Become Songs, brought to you by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. Today is a bit different from usual. Typically, I interview an artist and their producer to talk about a song they worked on together. For this episode, however, I am both the interviewer and the artist. I'm joined by my bandmate Janie Townsend and our producer Evan Redwine to talk about a song that we recorded together. Janie and I are both founding members and leading songwriters of The Orchardist. We like to dress up our folk songs in playful chamber arrangements inspired by artists like the Punch Brothers and Sufjan Stevens. We worked with Evan to record our most recent album, People People. Evan is a gifted engineer who excels in finding the very best sounds possible and will stop at nothing to get them, and gives the song exactly what it needs even when his own opinion is at stake. Former understudy of Shane Wilson and Andrew Osenga, Evan brings unmatched energy and passion to every day in the studio. In this episode, we focus specifically on our song, Drink It Down. In the conversations I've had so far in this podcast, we've talked about songs that the artist has brought to the table for the recording process. Mm -hmm. And then in the process of recording, they try all kinds of different things with instrumentation and arrangement and stuff. Um, and that is what we would traditionally refer to as producing, right? Yeah. And discerning the vision of a song. Whereas when we went into the studio for this record, it's almost like the producing was really just the arranging we had already done as a band. Um, so we, the songs were pretty much fully formed by the time we were recording them. But even though we had already sort of produced it essentially in, in the process of arranging it, um, there were still plenty of roadblocks. It seems like it was a classic second muse encounter because we got there and it was so hard. Recording was so hard. And I mm -hmm. feel like we I look back on it and I don't think of it as hard. I'm like, oh, that was fun. And we all hung out and we ate lunch and we did our songs and it was great. But when we were in it, I mean, we would be like rubbing our faces and like so frustrated and tired because we couldn't get a take that we had been trying to get for 20 minutes of one instrument or one thing wouldn't tune because of the weather that day and mm -hmm. I mean all kinds of stuff was was just hard and so it was a reminder that we were going to have to really buckle down and and if these songs were going to to be what they wanted to be then we were going to have to work really hard to let them I totally understand like the amnesia of remembering making something that was really hard and it's almost like the PTSD of, of like, Oh no, it was great. I, the memory I have of that is so pleasant, but like, that's just because I'm covering up all of the, no, we didn't see daylight <laughs> strife that was underneath. Like all I remember is the breakfast Paul Eckberg made for me. But really what went into that was a lot more blood, sweat and tears. Um, what were your blood, sweat, and tears? Evan? Like, a, like a Gethsemane experience. <laughs> <laughs> Evan has called recording this record an, a Gethsemane experience. Oh, wow, I'm a little hurt, Evan. <laughs> no, I, that was purely for the sake of humor. Uh, when you said you mean blood, like sweating blood? Yeah, when you said yeah, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, for sure. 
No, I mean it was it was definitely challenging. I I don't feel like it was. I feel like it was only stressful like twenty five percent of the time. But that's still enough it's like time. A pretty big chunk. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it wasn't it wasn't most of it. But um, if we did the same record today, even the same songs, and they'd never been recorded, and if we did it today with the people we are now and the experiences we've had, it wouldn't have been that stressful. Mm-hmm. I think, at least for me, like I think I was putting too much weight on my shoulders that didn't need to be there, or thinking I need to do. I might have tried to interject creatively more than I needed to or something as mm-hmm. opposed to just being there and uh, serving and letting it happen and stuff you know you, I don't, you, you guys probably don't see it like that but I think I took it took it upon my shoulders to be a little too invested in like the outcome of the musical performances and, and the yeah. arrangements when it was like Things that were weren't necessarily your responsibility. Yeah, and like, then you can't play like, the mandolin for Tyler. Yeah, or and, the and you got you guys were on top of all that stuff, and it was going to turn out great because you guys are great, and you know you you know what's good. So I think if I had just gone in and if I went in today, I'd just kind of ride the waves a little more. Hmm. And, and and on moments when there are band discussions, or if I threw something out there that I thought might help you guys, if it was received or not received, I I wouldn't be swayed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it actually wasn't that difficult of an experience. I think like my fear of how it was going to turn out made it a little more difficult than it needed to be. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, it was a ton of fun. The, in, the instrumentation and the layout of the band, mm-hmm. recording a lot of it live and being able to use all these cool ribbon mics on acoustic instruments and yeah. just kind of go for the best fidelity and the richest sound I could, not necessarily all this, you know, crazy character to, like, slap over it, but just, like, what's the most gorgeous representation I can get? Yeah. Which is a really fun perspective. One experience that kind of distills a lot of what we're talking about is recording vocals. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, um, because what would happen is Janie and I would be at opposite ends of the room where we can see each other, but we're also isolated sound wise and then mm. Evan you're in the control room coaching us <laughs> talking us through <laughs> that's, as that's... if we're like about to have surgery or something <laughs> wow coaching uh, that's a very um generous way of saying it I no, was just true. like I thought you guys kind of coach yourselves well but I, I think the what I mean by coaching is that you you were really good at knowing what we had in us Mm. that we weren't like able to access yet if Mm -hmm. that makes sense and i am really thankful for the intensity that you were like willing to put us through of saying like no we're gonna keep going (laughs) we're gonna do like a dozen more of this because i know that if you just it's it's like this um thing where if you get into your muscle memory to hang on this like specific falsetto note up here and Janie's doing it at the same time another note and so like we have to get that harmony perfect Mm. and if we do that enough times we'll find it and it'll just happen and that'll be the take and then we'll be done Um, but the intensity of that and the feeling I mean there are several harmonies I remember like they're actually coming to me now as I'm talking I'm like oh my gosh like uh, there's that line in Looking Glass the magic mirror Mm -hmm. where Just, oh, my magic mirror, that line. Oh, my magic mirror, reflect a perfected me, please. 
I remember the look on your face when we got it, and we both were like, "We're not doing it anymore. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> it's done." <laughs> but it's crazy because like we had to get a specific thing out of us that we knew we had, mm-hmm. but you can't just readily access. And I think that that picture mm-hmm. of of doing that, especially with something so intimate as your own voice, yeah, is such an apt representation of what it means to encounter resistance and the second muse and all yeah. that stuff. Well, and at that point in sort of in the trajectory of our band, we as a band and then you and I vocally were extremely comfortable performing live. So yeah. everything felt really easy and tight when we did things live, but recording is a whole different ballgame. And mm-hmm. there are nuances to recording things that you have to keep in mind that are different when you sing live. And I like my voice is a little bit unruly sometimes if I'm not careful. And so I have to be really aware of it when we record. And so I would say, Evan, that it was coaching because you understand how things work in the studio. Mm -hmm. Like there are practical things you can do to help your performance that are different than just being out in the open. I think I've said at least 20 times in my life that I'm never as angry as when we're in the studio recording. And so it was (laughs) extremely helpful. What was your, let's go around. What were each of our angriest moments? Uh, We'll start with you, Janie, with recording specifically when you were recording a vocal. A vocal. Uh, I mean, for this album? Yes. (laughs) um, I mean, recording Violet was like having my teeth pulled. And I had 10 teeth pulled as a child, so I know exactly what it's like. (laughs) You speak as one with authority. (laughs) You know what you're saying. I just, I often when I sing, I'm like a little bit sharp and Mm -hmm. I don't notice it. And it makes me mad because I'm proud and I want to believe that I can just sing things perfectly, which is, I mean, of course I want that, but it's not that, it's not that that important (laughs) to sing anything perfectly but it matters to me. And so I'd get really frustrated once we got in the studio. And not only could I not do it right, but God forbid, it was because I was a person. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> sing it perfectly. Oh, man. Um, and Violet was, Violet just always sounds out of pitch, like off pitch to me, partially because of where that, where my harmonies fall in my range Yeah. with you um, singing the melody there. So... I just remember nothing felt like it was um, on pitch. And then the more we do it, the more I lose faith <laughs> in whether or not it is on pitch, even though Evan is sitting up there and he's like, doesn't, isn't noticing it at all because it sounds fine or like it's, we're about to get it, but he's not thinking like, geez, Janie, you just can't sing on pitch at all. So we're going to have to keep doing this and doing this, but you're getting worse, which is what I'm thinking mm-hmm. while we're recording it. That means so much about, um, just dealing with yourself and accepting <laughs> yourself and what you have to give and what you don't have to give. Cause I, I don't know if this is my angriest moment, but I, it's certainly what I remember as just really, really hard was the choruses of quiet. Now when we would both have to sing that. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, And it's both of us are in this sort of breathy register. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to like really hit a note. And, and it's just it's just cold too. like you don't slide into it. You just mm-hmm. have to like be there as soon as you open your mouth. And that I remember that being a really, really challenging moment to get right. And I felt that feeling that you're ex- describing of it's getting worse. It's getting worse. 
if anything is workable, it was like the very first thing I did and that wasn't even very good, you know, those sorts of feelings. I have tried to heal myself, to will my way to well. My ills to find, my wounds to bind, the surgeon's hands were mine. Deeper in, I cut through skin, and my nightmare woke within. My disease and I lay side by side, my guilty hands were tied. Before we continue, a special word of thanks to our sponsor, Lipscomb University. Lipscomb is a nationally ranked research university located in Nashville. They are an intentionally courageous and gracious Christian community. At Lipscomb, you engage top quality academics integrated with faithful spiritual direction, preparing you for your life's work. Learn more at lipscomb.edu. And now, back to our podcast. Okay, well, for this, I'll start since I wrote the song. Usually I ask the artist how the song was written, so I'll ask myself <clears throat> instead. Do you want someone to ask you? Would that make you feel? <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I'll just kind of launch into the backstory a little bit, and then we can, we can all join in when we get to the part of the story where you guys come in. <laughs> so, which is pretty quickly because Janie and I were both taking a class at Belmont. Um, from Steve Guthrie, who is one of my favorite humans to ever walk the earth. He's the best. <laughs> He's fantastic. And he was teaching this class, Faith and Beauty, where we read his book called Creator Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Art of Becoming Human. Strongly recommend that book to everyone. It's in the, the store, isn't it? It is in Here. the Rabbit Room store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very worth mentioning. So please go check it out. Um, it is... It is so important to me. It's a book about how when we talk about the arts, we often use the word spiritual. We say that a song was a spiritual experience or a concert was a spiritual experience. Um, and so he's, he's writing this book asking why that's the case, why we're relating these two words to each other, spirit and art. And so he takes that question and explores it from the perspective of what could that mean about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in um, creativity? So anyway, that's the nutshell of the book. And that was also the nutshell of the class that we took. And at the end of the semester, he gave us the assignment, essentially processing what we had learned in the form of making something, writing something. So I wrote this song and um, I was also reading at the time in another class, a book by Henry Nowen called Can You Drink the Cup? So you can see where that's going. Um, I just took that phrase and I guess literally riffed on it (laughs) with my guitar. (laughs) And that's kind of where the song began. So in terms of what I was reading and taking in and processing, that was kind of where I was. But 
also personally i think this is where the content of the song comes from too i was grappling um with sin with just what sin is um and i think trying to process some like what what ideas about sin that i've absorbed in my life so far are worth keeping and which ones do i need to let go of and i was in a place where i was feeling intensely self-aware um especially of like my thoughts and feelings and the content of of the thoughts and feelings i was having and um and sort of just scrutinizing myself and um and the funny thing about doing that is that sometimes you can mask it in this idea of being um being good and offering this up as a confession to God and praying about um about the contents of your mind and heart when really like what's actually happening is you're just becoming so aware of every passing thing about you that it's just condemnation, you know, um, however pious it might feel. Um, so that was sort of happening. And I was feeling sort of trapped by that behavior that I was noticing in myself. And, um, and I was not at a point where I could accept that brokenness and woundedness and sin could be gifts that God works through to weave something more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Um, so I was kind of at that roadblock and that's, that's where this song began. And that's where the song really does begin with the first verse about, um, trying to essentially heal yourself, fix yourself, but realizing that the deeper you get, the more you peer inside of yourself, the more interwoven disease and healing are, um, to the point that it's like, you know, the wheat and the chaff, like we're not supposed to separate out those things by ourselves that's not something that we can really do um and so at a certain point you just have to offer it up um so that's that's where the whole song began and i remember as i was writing it that i had this verse in this chorus and then as is so often the case the second verse was the the one that was tough to to get into and i wasn't sure if I should stick with the voice of the narrator that begins the song or if like God's voice should come in. So at one point I, um, after I'd written a fair share of it, I thought, Oh, well, Janie can just be the voice of God. No pressure, Janie. (laughs) And I'll just be like this, you know, narrator talking about his inner brokenness or whatever. And then Janie will swoop in. And, but the thing is she kind of did, we're going to jump ahead because I want to, um, I want to mark the moment when like we've talked so much about the second muse and being obstructed, but that second verse where Janie takes the lead and says, follow me, I'll let you see the world as it should be and all this. Follow me, I'll let you see the world as it should be. That was the one and only take, wasn't it? You just sang that and that was it and we kept it. <laughs> It was the first take. I think so. Yeah. Like, it was so good. Just just be free and, and <laughs> run with it because it's beautiful. Be free. Like, don't yeah. doubt yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was just really excited <laughs> that it was um, 
that easy. I was excited about that song because I think there's something really special about it. Um, I mean, the first time you played it for me, I was sort of shyly proud of you because that is one of the first songs that you've ever written that was... I mean, the you write songs that are personal, but they're sort of shrouded, whether purposefully or not, in ideas and characters and narratives that you sort of push off of yourself to make it sort of more conceptualized. I'm not trying to accuse you of like self-protective instinct. I think that's just how you hey, tell stories. It's all good. That's just how you <laughs> well, do it. That's just how you process things. So I was excited from the start to sing that song. Um and I was that was when we were just starting to toy with singing in unison. We had mm-hmm. really never done that. Um mm-hmm with any amount of delight or investment. And then that song, I remember working on harmonies when Camille couldn't make it, but you and Tyler and I were playing for a youth retreat. We got hired to play worship for a youth retreat. And we were... That was so important. It was. And so it was just the three of us and Tyler was sort of tinkering with his parts and I was was coming up with, with little vocal ideas. And I remember when we got to the um, Jesus Blood forgave my debt he's never failed me yet and we just decided there wasn't any need for any vocal separation or distinction and it was just unison and to me it felt sort of like i was able to receive what the song meant um and all the the really sweet and um peace-giving things that it implies because we sang that in unison and also also worth noting about the youth retreat was um after we had done our duty and led the children in worship um we had the sanctuary area all to ourselves <laughs> and i was like hey tyler i've got this riff for a song um do you want to just kind of play with it and see where it leads and so we did what we had done so many times before and i just played that opening and it's funny because now when I hum it, what I hum is Tyler's part. But all that didn't exist at that point, so I don't know how I hummed my guitar part. But but I played it, and what Tyler did is what he always did, which is he just sat in silence for a long time, listening. And then he would start to tinker around, and then more quickly than you would believe possible he would just start playing like the finished part like it just kind of came and i remember losing my ever-loving mind (laughs) like that is so good that is so distinctive and like that is the song now um so that felt like a major dam breaking you know Mm -hmm. um coming to a point where we got somewhere new Uh, there's new territory that was one of the most organic songs on the record i felt because everybody feel like really equal parts pitched in arrangement wise and it was maybe one of like five or six songs that you've ever written that you wanted me to sing melody on a part of the song but it wasn't in my range so mm-hmm. I just had to change the melody <laughs> and, yeah. um, and we didn't I forgot until I was listening to it the other day actually and then I thought oh, we didn't write the verse like this I sang it this way on a whim that time that you showed it to me because I couldn't sing the melody and as usual, I think that set a standard where I was like, oh, I kind of like that. Like, I'll write something that's in my range, but not Janie's. And then mm-hmm. let her just rewrite the melody yeah. when we get there. Because <laughs> that's more fun. what and, works. You know. So that's how it was, writing and arranging. And then this was, I think, the newest song we were working with on the record. And so for that reason, 
it had not been as whittled down to its final form when mm-hmm. we went into the studio. And that definitely showed. Like, I remember when we were <laughs> trying to track just guitar, violin, mandolin, we realized, oh, we, we don't know exactly what we're doing here. And so it's just going to feel like we're faking it, like faking our way through it until we make decisions. I remember feeling the angst of that and like being worried that Evan was frustrated (laughs) with us because with the other songs, typically like we would know pretty precisely what we were doing and any trouble we would run into would just be performance. But in this case, I think it was more than just performance. It was also like well, what should I do here? <laughs> it's like, you should have had this figured out before you came to the studio, right? Um, and so, yeah, what do, you, what do you remember about that, Evan? Dude, I don't remember that. Yeah? <laughs> I do remember us going on a walk in the middle of it to take a break yeah. out of frustration. I remember that walk, but until Janie mentioned it a few minutes ago, I didn't even remember that's why we went on the walk. <laughs> There are some songs that are on the far end of the ornate spectrum, like Bleeding Heart or Inside Your Head or Violet. Mm-hmm. And then there are others that are more on the accessible end of the arrangement spectrum, like People, People and Common Sense. Mm-hmm. And this one kind of fell in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's long and it's very, it has so much depth and weight and warmth to the sound, but it didn't have maybe some of the experimental nature of some of the others, but it was still more, it required you to think while listening more than some of the other, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was one of the ones on the album that it didn't necessarily pop out to me as like, oh yeah, that song or that song that I remember. Yeah. It was but, a sleeper. Like I remember yeah. too, as yeah. we were mixing and everything, it took a while before I was like, oh, wait a second, Drink It Down's like coming into its own now yeah (laughs) it's feeling itself and now it's i mean a while and it took a while for me too but now it's honestly it's one of my favorites on the album you know there's a lot of talk about um just spiritual content throughout the album obviously Mm -hmm. but this is the one song that just comes out and just says it like jesus blood is paid my debt it's never failed me yet and that's such a beautiful moment you know and we talked about that singing in unison it's the unison is almost like this is so important we can't distract you with harmonies like we're going to focus together on this and just you can't but understand it like pay attention kind of thing yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. um i remember really enjoying when we overdubbed and put piano on it yes oh my god obviously that made all the songs come alive yeah so that's kelly linehan that one in particular um just like basically waltzed into the studio and we would basically just give her free reign to just like we have a general idea of what we want but like just make it as magical as possible like whatever comes to you and she nailed it we drank it down man we drank it down (laughs) to the bottom oh well yeah we have to say um the running joke about the song was that it was the orchardist's debut Hit country song. Oh yeah, because it's <laughs> called it Drink It Down. <laughs> Drink it down. This episode was recorded and engineered by Evan Redwine. For more episodes of The Second Muse and for more great podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcasts. And thanks for listening.